0: Today, in Proverbs 31, we're going to conclude our study of the wisdom on leadership in the book of Proverbs. Again, I want you to kind of posture yourself to listen to this message because every one of you is today responsible to lead someone. We're all leaders in some kind of way, and you all have your people and you have a mission You have someone that you're going to lead. So who is it that God has brought into your sphere of influence? And I want you to think about that for a moment. Who is it that God has brought into your sphere of influence? And I want to encourage you to listen now with your mission and your people in mind, if you would listen to this message. Now, because today is Father's Day, I'm going to especially focus on the responsibility of men as leaders in their home. But again, everything we say will apply to all men and all of you ladies in your leadership roles. And you ladies are in leadership roles of some kind, whether it's in your family, whether it's in the community, whether it's in leaders group or whatever. Everybody is a leader to an extent. Now, most of you, I think you're familiar with, uh, very familiar with Proverbs 31, especially if you've been reading Proverbs this whole time, a chapter a day and just going over it and over it and over it. You know, and each time you read it, you probably see something you didn't see the last time you read. It. And I think that's pretty interesting to me because I'm finding new things all along. But we are pretty familiar with Proverbs 31, probably the most preached text on Mother's Day, because this chapter describes a a virtuous wife whose value is far above rubies, the scripture tells us in verse 10, but often missed something that we just kind of zoom by sometimes. This description, it was given to a young leader by his mother. You know, she said in the 12th verse, son, this is the woman who you need to marry. She will do you good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, what we never preach on on Mother's Day is verses one through nine. We just kind of skip over that. We don't preach on those verses. And those verses gives us the context and some other wise or or sage warnings here. Look at verse one. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him, O my son, And what, O my son of my womb? And what, O son of my vows? Now, no one knows exactly who Lemuel was. And since the name kind of sounds Aramaic, and there's Aramaic phrases in this chapter, some scholars, they conclude that Lemuel was a neighboring Aramaic prince. You know, that was their take on this thing. Um, Perhaps as he and Solomon discussed leadership roles, he shared his mother's wise words and then Solomon added it to his own wisdom curriculum. However, now this won't cost you any extra, but I believe Lemuel was um, Bathsheba's pet name for Solomon. And there's many people that do believe that. But whoever, um, regardless of whoever, is doing the speaking here. For sure, here we have a leader passing on to his sons, which is future leaders, wisdom which he received from his mother. Well, this is what godly fathers and mothers do. They teach. They pass on ancient wisdom. They intentionally equip their kids to be leaders for God in their world. For example... From the very beginning, Moses, he commanded the fathers of Israel in Deuteronomy 6 and verses 6 and 7 says, these words I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So parents, it is your responsibility to teach your children. It's no one else's responsibility. It's your responsibility to teach your children. Now, I want you to understand that these are not sugar-coated words here. The good wife section that always gets preached on Mother's Day, you know, that's pretty positive. But actually, verses 1 through 9, they're pretty scathing. They're a scathing rebuke here. Here was a mother. She was watching her adult son do some foolish things, And she courageously intervened here. Now, oftentimes people um, around leaders, especially kings with absolute power, um, they're afraid to say anything that might be construed as criticism or might be construed as, as correction. But this mother, she felt that she had the right and the responsibility to speak truth to her son, no matter how powerful he was. I want you to notice she says this, what, oh, my son, and she says that three times. Now, we wouldn't say it like that, so maybe it didn't catch our attention. What we would say would be, son, what in the world are you doing? That sounds more like what we would say, but here it was, what, oh, my son. Now, that phrase, it signals that a rebuke is on the way. My mother said something like that to me three times. I knew that a review was on the way, and it might be with a bell. I don't know, depending on when my dad got home, of what it would be what it would be like. Well, you can count on this. Whenever you see repetition in the scripture, it indicates um, intensity. It indicates passion here, importance. So when mom says something three times, she is urgently pleading with her son, son, stop what you are doing and listen to me. That's the message that's given here. Now, by the way, she actually gives Lemuel two reasons why she can and why she must speak the truth into his life. She says, "O son of my womb. Now, we don't say it like that, but for 3,000 years, Moms have told children, I carried you nine months. I gave birth to you. You are a part of me. And that gives me the right to tell you what I think. Any any mother ever feel that way? Probably so. Note she also says, oh, son of my vows. Now, apparently, like Hannah, before his birth, she dedicated her son to the Lord's service. You know, So she saw some things in his life that were not honoring God. And she just had to speak up here. If you remember the child of David and Bathsheba's adultery died. But when David, and I assume Bathsheba here, repented, the blessings of Solomon affirmed that God had complete forgiveness with them. So it kind of makes sense that Bathsheba would have prayed, Lord, We will dedicate this child to you. That just kind of makes sense. Well, before telling Lemuel what a good woman looks like, his mother gave him three stern warnings about how all leaders must live and lead. And the first is this, all leaders must abstain from immorality. All leaders must abstain from immorality. Verse three, Do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. Now, I want you to understand that in the Hebrew here, this is pretty clear and graphic language. This is pretty tough here. These are things that many moms today might be too embarrassed to say to an adult son, but they are essential for every leader and especially every man in leadership. First, do not give your strength, sometimes translated seed or life force to women. And it's a specific admonition not to have multiple children with multiple wives here. You see, it's wrong for a man to create a child that he does not have the resources or like in Solomon's case, the time or the energy to properly parent. And further, having many children by different women in your house, invariably, it will create jealousy or rivalry or conflict or, and rebellion, just as Abraham and Jacob and Solomon's father David all learned the hard way. Plenty of examples in the scriptures that tell us that. Then the phrase, do not give yourselves to the way that destroy kings. It refers to the hedonistic lifestyle of sexual immorality. Now, wealthy and powerful men in the ancient world, just like today, they tended to be promiscuous. You know, they visited prostitutes. They, they kept mistresses and, and even harems. You know, And for any man to just use woman for sex is to dishonor those um, created in the image of God. It is to dishonor women. And reducing one's sexuality to a basically a recreational activity also damages men in so many profound ways, more ways than we can account. Look at what um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 18. He says, flee immorality. For every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Folks, immorality, any sexual expression outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is sinful period. No matter what our culture says, it always has been, it always will be, and it will send you to hell. Folks, that is the truth from the scripture. But listen, even in this life, it will eventually bring you heartache and pain. Immorality damages a man's ability to fully enjoy the gift of sexuality as God has designed it to be. Not to mention the possibility of disease or unwanted pregnancies and the damage of both to you and your partner's self-esteem. There's all kinds of problems that go with this. You see, separating sex from the intimacy and the commitment of a marriage covenant invariably causes men to sink into all kinds of depravity and, and perversion and addiction and even sexual dysfunction. And no man, no man can effectively lead anything in the midst of all that. Just can't do it. Now, at one time, get back to our story here, Solomon fell deeply in love and he experienced an incredible uh, sexual relationship within the context of a marriage. And we know that because he wrote graphically about his sensual and emotional and spiritual experience of marital love in the Song of Solomon. And if you read that, you know, I mean, how beautiful that love was. But sadly, then he proceeded to collect over a thousand women in his harem. In Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, in verse 8, he said, I provided for myself the pleasures of men, many concubines. And as you might guess, um, many of these women's they, women, they proceeded to bring their pagan idols and their beliefs and their practices right into Solomon's house. So with this came all kinds of baggage, you see. And in the end, it really, it just destroyed his family and his legacy. But think about this just for a moment. How could a man possibly sleep with a thousand different women and then have a healthy sexual relationship with one woman that expresses the, ex- the exclusive and intimacy and the two becoming one as God designed. How can it happen? You can. Solomon, just like most kings in the ancient world, became a sex addict, who, just like many men today, addicted to immorality or pornography, you know, never. Found fulfillment or satisfaction in this area of his life. In Ecclesiastes, he states from experience here that seeking fulfillment through sensual pleasure is vanity and striving after the wind. And then in Proverbs five, verses fifteen through twenty-three, he pled with his own sons. He says, "Drink water from your own cistern." and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of man are are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. And here's the part you may want to underline. And he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly He will grow astray. Listen to me. Sexual sin destroys leaders in the church, in the government, in the marketplace, and certainly in the home. It's moving along. Warning number two, abhor in sobriety. Abhor in sobriety. Verse four, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings. Notice again the passion in this repetition here. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. Folks, here is a dire warning for all leaders against insobriety here. Of course, this principle also applies to any drink or drug that has the power to intoxicate or or blur our thinking. Verse 5 tells us why leaders must always be sober. They will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Now, there are two problems. Actually, there's many problems, but there's two problems with leaders drinking or getting drunk here. First of all, they forget God's words. You know, they forget they represent God. And the second thing is, drunk leaders will always abuse their power. They will take advantage of those that actually they're supposed to protect. Verse six and seven continues, give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. We see here, you know, it's okay to medicate the dying and ease their pain. Some people have a question about that, but right here is an example of where this is okay to do that. But leaders do not have the luxury of ever dulling their, their senses or forgetting their troubles. You know, think about this. When is it okay for a president who might at any moment have to make life-death decisions, you know, when is it okay for them to be incapacitated? <laughs> I won't even go there right now with our president, but anyway when would it be acceptable to you for the captain of your overseas flight or the head surgeon who's fixing to operate on a loved one, when would it be acceptable to be drunk? You see, what about a policeman whom we give a gun to carry or a CEO whose who's, um, decisions impact your retirement accounts? When would it be okay for them to be incapacitated making decisions? Or when is it, when does it not cause harm for a child to see his parents out of control? You see, leaders at every moment must be sober at all times. Leaders never get dull senses and forget problems. They don't do that. Their job is to stay sharp and fix problems. All leaders need to abhor insobriety, but especially fathers. Think about who you are leading, fathers. Now, there's, a, there's an old story, and it's told by Kerry Becker, a preacher who once played quarterback for um, Washington and Lee football team. And one evening, he came upon a young boy. The boy was just sitting on a curb, and he come upon this guy, and uh, this little boy, he had a half-deflated football under his arm. And Becker, he, he said this was one of the most pitiful sights that he had ever seen. And he said it was just, there was incredible sadness and loneliness that just permeated the boy's countenance. He could see this little boy was at the end of his rope. It was obvious, his eyes were swollen. They were so swollen that he had cried until he had no more tears. Moved with compassion, Becker said, son, what's wrong? And the little boy said, mister, have you ever played football? Of course, Becker replied, well, yes, I did, son. And the boy said, then you know what it means when a member of your team gets offsides. He said, when one player gets offsides, the whole team is penalized. And not just the team, but the coach and all the fans. They all pay because of one guy got offsides. And Becker said, well, that's right, son. What's your point? And then the boy looked at him in the eye and he said, Mr., Tonight, my dad got offside. Mom had fixed a nice dinner. The house was clean. We spent all afternoon getting things ready. Mom was so happy, she was singing in the kitchen. But dad came home drunk. And he yelled, and, and, and he just knocked the dinner off the table. And he slapped my mom across the face. He said, I just slipped out the back and came here to the park to toss the ball some of my buddies, but they had already gone home. Carrie Becker spent the next hour that evening tossing a half-deflated football, all the time thinking what a horrible thing it is in the life of a little boy when his dad gets offside. You know, so I suspect that every one of us here today could share a personal story of how alcohol or drug abuse Has brought pain and destruction into some family that's close to us. Our culture laughs at drunkenness. Madison Avenue and Hollywood, they promote the pleasures of drugs and alcohol. Some of our politicians want to make all this stuff legal, you know, but the book of wisdom warns us it's not for leaders. In 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter and verse nine, the word of God says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the infamous, or the homosexuals or the thieves or the covetous or the drunkenness, nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Moving along, number three. Leaders must attack injustice. Leaders must attack injustice. Now, after two negatives here about what leaders must not do, verse 8 and 9 says what leaders must do. It says this, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. I want you to know, according to the scripture, it is not enough for us to wish the unfortunate, the afflicted, and the needy well. It's not enough. Leaders must use their voice um, for those who have no voice. They are responsible to use their own power to defend those who have no power. Folks, all leaders must self uh, selflessly pursue God's righteousness and true justice for all by all, always, courageously and proactively opposing injustice. We must go after it. We must help those that cannot help themselves. Maybe at your house today, that means not letting an older granddaughter or a grandson take toys from a younger, Uh, granddaughter or grandson. It also means not to let the younger control the older and just manipulate the whole family through screaming. Husbands and fathers and mothers and teachers and coaches and managers and team leaders, anyone with a badge, a whistle, a stamp or a title that puts them in charge must use their own power to attack injustice. Folks, we got to stand up for those that can't. Well, We may ask the question, how in the world do we do that? We can begin by never minimizing or laughing at immorality or insobriety or injustice. Even when our culture does, we don't have to. We can always call them what they are. I know they're destructive sins. Even when our culture calls that hate speech. We can all establish and and maintain good boundaries to avoid the slippery slope of temptation. And when we're tempted, we can all reject the foolish confidence in our own wisdom and strength and learn just like Joseph did to flee even the appearance of evil. We can establish accountability relationships, you know, and be honest with ourselves and be honest with others. What really tempts us? We can all avoid the negative and the destructive by filling our hearts with, and minds and time with the positive and with things that are life-giving. Folks, there's so much we can do. Our world does not want us to do that. Our world wants to follow us to follow what is politically and now socially correct. Folks, let me encourage you to be biblically correct. Forget the others. Be biblically correct. We're not going to be judged on what's politically correct or socially correct. We're going to be judged on what's biblically correct. That is our guideline. And fathers, let me encourage you to live by that. That's what's going to count in the end. Interesting that Proverbs, it doesn't bother to tell us how to abstain from immorality or poor abhor- in sobriety or attack injustice it just says do it that's what it says leaders especially you men who are husbands and fathers called to lead families one thing I'm sure we all need to do is to begin every day by calling out to Jesus Christ oh Lord I'm a leader who needs you to lead me folks we need to follow in Jesus steps we need to lead like Jesus did that's what's going to count. Man, that's to you, but it's for the ladies in leadership too. You know, we need to follow Jesus, plain and simple. Forget what the world says. The world's going to take us to hell. Jesus Christ takes us to heaven. And that choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for the wisdom on leadership and how we should lead our families and our homes and our churches and our communities. Father, we pray that you would find us guilty of being about your business in a way that's pleasing to you. And Father, we just call out, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be active in our lives and guide us the way that we need to lead. In Jesus' name.